Yo ya te lo dije, pero qué sé yo, right? I'm gonna odiarme, but I'm still gonna live my life. Heck of emotion, that's why you lose yourself every time. They yelling DK, like what do I know, right? Welcome to another episode of DK with your host, Sarah Vega. And today I'm so excited because one of my favorite Dominicanos are, is in the place to be, John Henry. <laughs> Please introduce yourself to those who might not know who you are. Hey, hey, hey. Well, good to good to be on. Nice to meet you. Um, and yeah, I am a proud son of... <laughs> Immigrant parents, um, both parents from Dominican Republic, and I was born and raised in Washington Heights. Um, So that's like a Dominican compounded upon Dominican. Right. Um, And I am very much a first gen, and I think that that has definitely shaped my lens in business and media and everything else. But um, yeah, I'm happy to be on the show today. Thank you. I'm glad you said yes. So (laughs) just to get just to get started for a brief background in case people have been living under a rock. John Henry started as a doorman. <laughs> then, you know, you started a, a dry cleaning service. Uh, and then your big break was the Wolf of Wall Street, where you were doing dry cleaning for movie sets and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then on. that's when you started all your venture capital stuff, correct? Yeah, more or yeah. less. <laughs> more or less. You know, <laughs> because we have 30 minutes, so I'm trying to shove it all sure, in sure. there. And... You know, being first gen is a tough thing. And that's probably the premise of this show, because we have to navigate different things and, you know, deal with parents that don't understand. So my first question Mm -hmm. is, what made you start working for yourself first and foremost? Mm, That also, see, I love this show and the lens because I really think that first generation, first gen immigrants or first-gen American, same side of the same, different side, same coin. We do have very unique pressures, and I feel like so much of them have shaped my outlook. And I've never even really had a chance to like speak on it explicitly. So this is a great, a great honor. Um, yeah. See, because like your first question, for example, what made you get into you know into being in business? It was because I wanted to help my parents right? Um, Financially, faster than my job would allow. And like, look at, for example, folks that have multiple generations in in the States, you know, it's like your parents grind it out. And then, so it's like your parents grind it out and then the kids have a little bit better. And then the kids have a little bit better. By the time you get to like four generations, you're set, you know, you have a little bit of cash in the family, uh, you know, you have a home and all this other stuff. And so their kids don't grow up thinking, damn, I got to help my parents. But we do. Right. We grew up thinking, damn, I got to, you know, and so that was a big part of the reason why I got into business at all was because I wanted to help my parents out. And my job was uh, like, I couldn't do it on a fast enough timeline. So I said, well, what if I could generate my own income somehow? And that idea, the allure of being able to do it on a more concentrated, aggressive timeline revealed me to entrepreneurship. Well, you're about 30, 31 at the moment. I'm 28. 28. There you go. I'm 36. (laughs) The reason why I mentioned that is because I also felt that whatever I'm doing right now, at the moment, I have my holistic dental care line called Lujo Wellness, and I have my podcast network. But I started that later in the game. 
versus mm. earlier, my mother was very, please have a secure job, go to school, this and that, single parent home, all those things. So I, I wasn't really nurtured to go on my own way. However, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. He never worked for anyone. Mm-hmm. And he, he ended up going back to Dominican Republic. And, mm-hmm. you know, his kids kind of skipped out on the whole entrepreneurship tale. And I'm the first one out of all my cousins to take that leap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, this is all when I'm older, I have different life pressures. You know, my mom wants grandkids, all this stuff. How mm-hmm. do you think age plays a difference now that, you know, you are 28 and you've managed to do so many things versus someone like myself or other people like myself that are just taking the leap now? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that it's, it's um, uh, unfortunately more of a real pressure on women, like societal's, societal expectations to have kids and be married and like, and then men get the pressures too, but I think less acutely than women. So it's definitely something that is real and I'm mindful of. Um, the, the cool thing though, is that while the pressures are there, they don't have to define what we do. You know, um, and I feel like there's always going to be pressures to not take risk, to play it safe, to have kids, to do this and to do that. And, and at a certain point, you do start to realize, I'm sure like you did, that like, yo, if you, if you listen to all these pressures from all these directions, you're going to go crazy. Yeah, for right. <laughs> and it's like, because there's all these pressures from all these sources and they're all pushing you in different directions. And if you don't take care to just draw the line and say, this is what I want, then you don't grow into a clear version of who you are because you end up growing into a version that's a a collection of the pressures around you instead of growing into someone that's like a collection of the inspirations that you draw from, which I think is a more beautiful byproduct and outcome. And so these days, I, I certainly did have those like, you know, I dropped out of college. That was a really big pressure for me. You know, you got to go to you got to go to school, for example. Um, I just I didn't feel like I, that was a pressure that I wrestled with. But I was like, man, the trade off was, was I willing to go through the temporary discomfort of being a letdown and a disappointment um, for what could potentially lay on the other side. So I said, okay, well, what potentially lays on the other side? And it was like, if the excitement of what lays on the other side of, of being a disappointment is excites you more than the, than the letdown scares you, then I think that that's, then you should go for it. Right. Because for me, I was like, okay, bet. So I could drop out. My mom would be, you know, distraught and I would be, you know, whatever, (laughs) but it's like, yo, but on the other side, I could live life on my own terms, make income the way I want, like it's like <laughs> on my hours and I don't got to work a job. And like all of those things excited me way more than, you know, the, the discomfort that I was going to face. I knew, I knew it was going to be temporary. So, yeah. So that's like my, my like matrix, like my decision matrix, like you right now, you have those pressures to, you know, have kids on a certain timeline, get married, this and that. And it's like, all right, bet. But yeah, my mom you know, got over that. She, we, we, she, the next segue is going to go into that, but yeah, she got you. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, man, I'd, I'd rather just, I'd rather just 
don't forget to ask what you want for yourself. And that's been really helpful to me along the way at various points. Um, even when you find success in what you're doing, you then still have to ask yourself, is this what I want now? It's what I wanted before, but I feel like we bake in these, these little stories that we want for ourselves. Then they become our truth. Then we live them. Then they become true. Mm-hmm. And every so often, though, I've learned to ask myself, do I still want what I said I wanted right. now that I got it? And so, sometimes the answer is no. So have you come across to that? Like first, you know, now that you, you know, you said, you know, your mom was distraught and everything. How did your parents, because, you know, if you being first gen, you know, parents are like a big thing. We kind of tend to live for our parents. Mm-hmm. How was it, you know, when you first decided to go out on your own? How did your parents react? And what were some of the societal pressures that either you put on yourself, because sometimes we do that, or that your family wanted you to do? Man, it was, um, you know, it was, I don't think they ever really fully got over it, to be honest. I, it was just really? like a stressing moment. And um, I had to be fierce about having my blockers on. Like, just like, I realized that first gen especially, we can be guilted by our parents. Right? <laughs> to, like, like, that, like that guilt is very much a, a lever that's used to get us to live the life that they want. And I just had to say, I'm sorry. Like, you being disappointed at, in me is not a reflection of my own sense of self-worth. It's your perception of what I should be doing, but it's not my perception of what I should be doing. And to some degree, it did make me feel bad. But once you, when I meditated and I became clear that I'm not coming from a bad place, I'm coming, you, I feel like you can never go wrong if you're coming from a good place and you're being honest with yourself and others about who you are and what you want for yourself. That's a good compass. Right. Um, that's a good place to come from. And like, Anything other than that, I feel like is you giving into these things that that's you giving into society's pressures, which is fine. And it's going to happen and we buckle. But um, as long as I knew I was coming from that place, I feel like I would win them over in due time. And if I didn't, then my heart would, would go. out. And then they did slowly, fully come around. Although my mom still tells me, yo, you got to go to school. But short of that, they've, they've learned to understand. John's a fucking entrepreneur. Like, that's just, that's just like how I am. And so for people listening, like your parents are just going to come around and say, she's just an artist. He's a painter. She loves film. She's gay. He's this like, but people's perceptions, it takes time and intentionality for them to change around their perception of who you are. And if you're not steadfast in who you are or this new person that you want to become or whatever, then you slowly will go revert back to their perception of you. You, you ever notice when you try to change, people say, ah, you know, they'll laugh at it because like people are just used to you in whatever form they're used to taking you in. But when you're steadfast about it and you say, yeah, this is who I am now, 
oh, really? You're a Christian now, but you were, you know, you were out in the streets, you know, hitting the sheets, they might say. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to come up with different archetypes, right? Like a girl who, you know, has been around but says, no, I'm a devout Christian now. Or a guy who had a drinking problem but says, I don't drink a drop now. Or whatever. Like, all it takes is that one decision in your head that you're going to be that now. And are you willing to deal with the ridicule, the jeering, the, oh, he said, oh, he, yeah, but yes, it was just last week that, like, you got to be willing to want what's in your head more than the pressure you know you're going to face from all these externalities. And it's like the upside of growing into who you want to be is so much greater than the downside of their taunts, which are fucking stupid anyway. And it's not making them grow. So you're just growing better and they're, you know, they're wasting energy. So now that you said all that and, you know, we had the whole thing with the parents, you know, this is my first go around. I've already been like a year and a half working for myself. And, you know, I've, I've had to really battle some like internal demons. What were some of your battles, your internal battles mentally and emotionally while going through this journey? Oh man, so many. Um, bad manager of cash, firstly. Um, you know, it turns out I was pretty good at making cash because I know how to hustle, move, and but um just like growing up, just like, oh money, it's just like always <laughs> in and out, just like, you know. It's in, it's out. Where is it? I don't know. It's just like constantly everywhere. Um, so that was deep, deep rooted, I feel like, in my family's culture of merchants. And like, it's, you know, it's cash in, it's cash out. And it's just like, um, so that was one. Another was, um, uh, another was just like confronting tough conversations and having them. Like I noticed about myself, I don't know if it was a cultural thing or if it's just a personal thing, but when when it came time to have a hard conversation about an uncomfortable subject, I would err on the side of not having the conversation and just like either not having it or just not showing up at all or turning a blind eye to it or not picking up the phone ever again for that person. And it's like, you can't ignore something into oblivion. It actually only just festers and it grows worse. Um, so definitely had to learn that. Definitely had to learn um, that this is some, this other one I know for sure is cultural, which is like, oh, you can't trust people, oh you know, like <laughs> that, like that, that distrust that runs deep. And then you have to set yourself up in it. You, so then when you hire and when you bring on co-founders, then you put them in a trust deficit position where they got to earn your trust. And then once you show me, you, you know, now I do the counterintuitive thing is I just dish out trust. You don't have to earn my trust. I trust you to start. Be, and because like there's this big fear of being burned, but it's like you burning me, you got way more to lose, mm, right? Right. So when you operate from that place of abundance, it actually nurtures trust. You know, versus if you say, "Yo, you got to prove you trust. You got to prove. Uh, you got to prove to me that I can trust you." It doesn't necessarily like warrant or elicit like, "Yo, I want to earn his trust." Versus if someone's like, "Yo, I, I trust you. That's why I'm bringing you in. I got you." All right. And then you're not afraid of being burned and you're just, so that's vulnerability. Like, yo, I got you. Come, let, let, yo, let's bust ass. Let's do some work. That's not to say that you won't be disappointed. That's not to say that you won't be let down. That's not to say that the trust won't be violated, but like 
the fear of those things should not compromise your like your ability to come from a place of love and trust because love and trust those soft intangibles it's like the oil in business and it's like the more you have of it that you propagate through the gears like it allows the gears to turn and it, it's what allows the machinery to grow big because it's love and trust and delegation yo i got it and it's like you know they you might be able to do a task better than an employee that you're bringing in I've had to learn, just delegate it. It's okay if it gets done to 80% of my capacity because I'm trusting them to do it and they got to nurture and develop on their own. And that goodwill, um, th that trust and that love nurtures goodwill and goodwill is the foundation of any business. You know, with that said, you know, you said something good where you were like, when you operate out of abundance, a lot of people are now learning that because, you know, one thing I hate is when people bastardize buzzwords like, entrepreneur, I hate that word, influencer, abundance, you know, because most people equate that with material stuff. You know what I mean? I have a little phrase now because, um, you know, of what I do currently. And it's like, you know, pandemiando y negociando because I have to go outside, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, and by that is, you know, obviously I'm risking COVID and, you know, because I deal with teeth all day and things like that. So it's like, at this point, you know, that's not my end goal. Like, I don't want to be cleaning and whitening people's teeth. My big goal is that my product is going to hit shelves and then that's a whole other ballgame, right? Mm -hmm. With that said, how can you, someone who's already more experienced, let people know that a lot of this journey is not material? The material is the, the end goal, but it's not material. Abundance doesn't mean I'm going to have mad money. Like, how would you explain that to people? That's a beautiful distinction. And it's a great question. Um, and I would say that even the angle for, for me and for like real people who love the journey is not material at any point. Um, you just want enough so that you feel um, like, so this is how I know I love this shit. Because <laughs> even, even when I'm dead broke, got like, Man, I've been in some tight spots, well behind on rent, well behind on rent, way behind on taxes, barely enough cash to hit Mickey D's for a burger, like <laughs> several times in my life, by the way, more recent than you might even think. Um, like, and I still love it, right? And And like, there's no way, there's no way that unless you love, like, unless you love it, what you're doing, even if it gets hard or whatever, like the motivation of, oh, one day I'm going to make money is not enough to get you through the fire that you're about to go through. Yo, talk about it, please. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not enough. Like, right. like material motivation is a fleeting motivation. It doesn't run deep. The love of what you're doing, the potential that you could put the, that you stand to make the, the control of your, of your life's time, like those, the impact you can have for your family, the impact you can have for your community, those kinds of things. Um, and then just loving the game, like those kinds of things run deep. Um, so, you know, like LeBron and Tom Brady, like, yeah, they love winning championships, but on the years that they don't, they're right back on it, training in the off season while the other guys are snoozing. Like if, if you have someone on the team, they lose, 
if LeBron's on that team, all the other team members, they're going to enjoy their offseason. Bron's right back to it because he just loves the game. So anyway, all that to say that definitely the, you know, if you want material abundance, there's a lot easier ways to get it than entrepreneurship. You know, you can go, yeah, you can go work a well-paid job for 20 years and make a lot of money more than a lot of entrepreneurs will ever make. Because like you getting a cushy job with benefits and health insurance and 401k and being good with your money and running lean, you'll make, you'll make a good amount. Entrepreneurship is never guaranteed to make money. It's almost like a, like a musician, like you're never guaranteed to pop, but people do it because they love the, the craft of, of making music. So yeah, it's definitely, a, I want to disconnect entrepreneurship from materialism. Um, and here's the beautiful thing is that as a byproduct of loving the game, you get good. And when you get good, you start to command value. And when you command value, you have enough now in your orbit to hire and build systems. And when you build systems with a clear point of view and, you know, you've taken enough coñazos in the head and like, you, you know, <laughs> it, it takes a lot of bum bum just being battered around for you to then develop some sense of clarity. I've been doing this shit for 10 years and I just now only start to feel like I know what I'm doing. Wow. 10 years. I'm 28. I started this when I started my first business when I was 18. I faked it that whole way. Hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, just hot potato <laughs> my way through everything. Uh, now I feel like I have a little bit of clarity, but it took 10 years. Um, and so that's, that is what is the dichotomy really between entrepreneur, like the, that's the dichotomy of the relationship between the entrepreneur and money is that you got to do it for the love of the game and not for the money. And then you get so good as a result of not doing it for the money that you figure out how to get the money. So um, that's kind of the, it's the yin and the yang. No, and I appreciate you say that because, you know, with the last few minutes that we have, you know, I, I get a lot of questions because my, my product, I have a tooth polish. It, you know, it popped pretty quick and I wasn't expecting it to, but it mm. popped pretty quick because my logo for my podcast is my teeth, is my mouth. So when I decided to sell what I use, which is something I make myself, like it just, during the pandemic, I was like, oh shit, like, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> So that shift of barely having to, you know, having now just enough to pay bills and pay rent and, you know, live my life, you know, people see that and they're so amazed and, oh my God, you're only a year old and blah, blah, blah. And your podcast is popular. And I'm like, yo, listen, I had to eat a lot of shit for that one year because this mm -hmm. is also, I've worked mm -hmm. my entire life. I had to unlearn a lot. And that's what I try to tell people. So I'm glad that you kept it mm. real and was like, yo, I had to take a lot of pocotazos and hot potato and because I'm guessing my way through all of this. What would be mm -hmm. your best advice to now someone who, regardless of age, that if they wanted to start something, but they're scared, you know, what would be your best advice? Uh, I would say chunk it out, um, chunk it out. And um and there's, I, I'm a big believer of dreaming big and having big visions, but taking small steps. Um, and so like, for me, if we want to get super practical and micro, like if you have an idea, think of a little name for the idea 
and try and get the handles on social media, right? That's a real practical first step. See if you can find as a first challenge, uh, as a as a start your business first, you know, uh, challenge like day one challenge for people listening. Try and find a name that is available both on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. A little bit harder than you might think, right? And if your business name is Vega, you can use verbs in front of it, like use Vega, try Vega, join Vega as a, a little bit of a hack, right? Mm-hmm. So think of the, and that that's free, obviously, right? If you want to make a little website, Squarespace is $12 a month and they have beautiful templates. It's hard to look bad on Squarespace. So that's cheap. The, the actual domain, if you buy the .com, 10 bucks, you can even get it for $1 if you go to instantdomainsearch.com and you, you Google it through that way. So that's a dollar as a first-time buyer. So all of a sudden, you have the makings of a little bit of a little brand, if you will, for less, like about $30, right? And then for me, rather than get caught up in thinking about the platform and an app and all of this, it's just like, create a little bit of a social presence. And I love using content as a way to test the waters on something. If you think that a concept is interesting, rather than have the weight of your expectations drown the little seed of the thing that is the idea, just let the idea nurture a little bit. Mm-hmm. Go on Twitter, type in toothpaste. I'm actually curious what comes up if you go on Twitter and type in toothpaste, for example, and see all the things that people say about it. And then you can just jump in there from your brand's point, from your brand's point of view. You know, okay. so, so that would really be my first step is like big vision, but start, start, you know, in little micro steps. And one of the best ways is starting a, building a little bit of a social presence with a little name um, and start producing content uh, around, around your idea. And that will make the thing seem a whole lot less scary. Um, and if you find that you enjoy doing it, all we're looking for here is a compass of enjoyment. If you're like, yo, I don't like this shit as much as I thought, then that's not for you. Mm-hmm. If, you if you're not good, I'm not, that's not to say that you're going to be good at it to start. But if you start and you're not good at it, but you kind of like it and you love the feedback and whatever, then you start leaning into that. Um, and before you know it, man, that's going to fuel learning that's going to fuel conversations, meeting people, and then you're going to be knee deep in this shit. And, (laughs) you know, then it's history from there, you know? So how do you feel now with, you know, social media, the social media boom and everybody, you know, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody is using the word entrepreneur. How do you feel about that? I feel like como que la gente está abusando at this point. So how... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people with the word entrepreneur in their bio that, um, that you know, still have a job on the side and then like they don't talk about the job, but then they say that they're an entrepreneur. That's fine. I mean, the entrepreneurship is in the zeitgeist and people will use the title um, and I'm okay with it. I'm not the police or the arbiter of who uses it. And, and I think like casting judgment on it, like, which I was a position that I took before, by the way, ah, you're not a real entrepreneur. You're not walking the path. I just been doing it long enough that I don't care. Use it. And like, if, if you got to fake it to make it great, if you got to make it, then fake it. Awesome. If you, you know, if you are about it, but don't talk about it. Great. If you're talking about it, but not also great. Like at the end of the day, I feel like execution and good intent are the only things that win in the long term. 
So it doesn't matter what you choose to call yourself or not or whatever. Like, like I, when I started, there were a lot of other people as well in a little incubator that I was doing that like, you know, started alongside with me. And I think I'm the only one from that cohort that's like really about it still. And one of them reached out to me not too long ago. And she was like, yo, I should have paid attention when we were in the incubator. Um, and I was like, well, you should have asked, you know, that's, that's a J. Cole line, which is, no, I mean, he was I like, feel that she was like, Dan Cole, I wish I knew that you would be rich. And he was like, well, you should have asked. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't give a shit. Let's just, let's bust ass. Like you got this toothpaste line and then guess what? In two, three years, it might not be that product because you might stumble across a different idea that you feel is more lucrative or you're more aligned with your passions, or it might still be this product, or you might take a break, which by the way, I had to do. I took a break. I went, I worked a job when I was tapped out. Like I couldn't even continue anymore because I was so broke. I did have to go back in the field. I worked for a year and then I came back at it. And it's like, if you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't mean that you're always self-employed. It just means that you'll always be back because it's, it's who you are. So, um, so yeah, I don't even have judgment around like the concept of like taking an L. I'm okay with it. This journey's long. Um, so just, you know, um, to anyone listening, like the ti- there's so much less value in the title than there is in the character you become as you chase your passions. So that's really what I would focus on. Um, yeah, this is a great show. I really loved it. Thank you. That was so real. Thank you so much for your wisdom. I'm so excited. Thank you yeah. so much. I hope you were going to like love it. Yo, yo te lo dije, pero que sé yo, right? I'm a modialme, but I'm still going to live my life. Heck of emotion, that's why you lose yourself every time. They yelling DK, like what do I know, right?